Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Hey, I was doing some reading in preparation for this message. Um, And as I was reading this past week, I was reading some surveys of the top 10 things we as a culture are scared of. And the interesting thing about the articles I was reading was that they were saying the list hasn't changed in decades. The percentages on the list oftentimes will change, but the list itself hasn't changed. There are some very clear things that culturally we're scared of that we are afraid of. And so I'm gonna show you some pictures here in a minute. And as a way for us to get to know each other, I'm gonna ask that if one of these things that comes up on the screen is something that you're scared of, that you just raise your hand and we can kind of get a consensus that way. So usually what's at the top of the list? Spiders. Raise your hand, let me see. Spiders, anyone? Absolutely. Which is interesting because there's 35,000 species of spiders, only 12 of which are actually dangerous to us. It just seems like those 12 are the ones trying to get into our house. And so we're afraid of that. This is next. Yeah, absolutely. It's biblical. It really is from the beginning of the story. I, I would raise two hands for this one. Super creeped out by snakes. Heights, anybody? Yeah, even that picture is a little bit uh, vertigo-inducing. Getting shots. Yep. A lot of people are scared of getting shots. The next one, the dentist. Now, I apologize if this is your profession. (laughs) I'm so sorry that you worked so hard for so long so that people would be afraid of you. Well done. Well played. Um, The news, I love this headline, it's worse than it was yesterday, which feels like we could print that every day. Uh, And so people are a little bit, uh, public speaking, anybody? Sometimes, me too, (laughs) I get there. Now this was some of the list, I added two things because I think culturally there's a couple other things that we have become scared of. First is this, clowns, (laughs) come on, let me see you. I don't know at what point clowns turned the corner from, hey, fun at a kid's party to super creepy, but they have. I don't know if Hollywood's responsible for that. And yes, and now the next one, I'm sorry I have to show you this picture, but I think this maybe tops your list. Yeah, (laughs) flying monkeys. How many of you watched this horror movie growing up? (laughs) Just horrific. I had nightmares for a long time. (laughs) Now that's one list. That's one list, but I think there's probably a secondary list of things that are maybe a little bit deeper. There's a secondary list of things that cause fear to rise in us. Things that are maybe a little bit fuzzy, a little bit vague, but definitely things that keep us up at night. Things that paralyze us. It's just a whole different list on a whole different level. And and let's not raise our hands for this one. Failure, taking risks, rejection, the fear of not being loved, not having enough or not being enough, sickness, prodigal children, broken relationships, being a burden, losing our mental ability, being alone. I mean, that's an exhausting list, if not necessarily an exhaustive list. 
But what are those things that grip you? Think about it for a minute. What are those fears? Because there's a difference between being scared and fear. When we're scared, we become nervous and agitated. But fear, fear's powerful. Fear's dangerous. Fear's threatening. Fear can control us. When we're scared, it ruins the moment. When we're fearful, it can ruin our lives. And we don't want to be ruined and ruled by fear. And so we want to get to the root of it. Because I think a lot of times anxiety rises up in us and we have this vague sense that there's something well below the surface there, but we're not quite sure what it is. We just know that there's some kind of angst that's coming up in us and we want to get to the root. We want to get to the bottom of what that fear is because fear is incredibly indicative of what we believe in of how we're living. And so I wanna process this truth here this morning, this idea that if we follow our fear, we find our God. If we follow our fear, we find our God. If we follow the fear, we find the things that master us. We find the things that rule us. And maybe if you follow your fear, you'll land at the one true God, but maybe not. Let me give you some examples. If we're afraid that someone's gonna say something bad about us or that people won't like us and we spend an unusual amount of time in image maintenance, whether it be physically or on social media, then maybe our God is our reputation. Or if our fear is that we'll never have enough, that we'll always be lacking, that we'll never quite live up to that standard that we want to live at. And so we begin to selfishly control all of our finances. Well, then maybe our fear is, or our God, excuse me, is money. We can follow our fears to find our gods. And we're gonna talk about this more in a few minutes because we wanna get to the root of that, but we're continuing on in our Thrive series. We want to be a healthy people. We don't want to be a people who are weighed down by certain things that keep us from thriving. And we've been talking about repentance and family sin pattern and forgiveness and healing wounds. And this morning, we're going to talk about what it takes to overcome fear so that we can be free of fear and begin to thrive. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, one of the great stories in Scripture. If you want to grab one from the pew there, it's on page 727. Now, the story kind of centers around three guys and this king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he is the greatest king of the greatest empire that the world has ever known at that time. He's the king of Babylon, the preeminent power. Now, when Babylon was conquering pretty much all of the known world, What they would do was they would take the best and the brightest from those other countries and they would bring them to live in Babylon and they would give them somewhat positions of power in Babylon. It was subjugation through assimilation. What they were trying to do was take the the culture from those other countries, bring them in, introduce them to the culture and the value systems of Babylon to kind of squash any type of rebellion. Now, when Babylon conquered Israel, in particular Judah, Three of the best and the brightest that they brought with them to rule in Babylon were guys by the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we want to read their story this morning, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. 
Then he sent messages to his high officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So everybody comes. Verse four, then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, accordion, kazoos, I just wanted to make sure you were still tracking with me in this story. It doesn't say accordions and kazoos, just a lot, of, a lot of instruments. Bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so this is what happens. The band gets going and everybody starts bowing except these three guys except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now there's some, some Chaldeans, um, some astrologers who see and who then run to the king and kind of tell on these three guys, they're not doing what you said they're doing. And so then they are brought before the king. Verse 13, it says, Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. He ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. But if you refuse, you will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. A little bit of background. We're really not sure what the statue was. If, if you have this mental picture that it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, maybe, but it would be a freakishly skinny statue, right? 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. But more important than what the statue was is what did it mean? The statue didn't have a name and it wasn't particularly associated with a Babylonian God. Verse 14 seems to indicate that the image represents all of the gods, all of the values, all of the beliefs of Babylon. It's, it's the king's attempt to draw his people together with political loyalty and religious fervor. He's trying to give them a cultural identity because there was people from all over the place. That's why he had all of these different musical instruments. He's trying to build an empire. And the king is saying this. He's saying, I'm not asking that you worship the gods of Babylon instead of your gods. I'm asking that you worship the gods of Babylon in addition to your gods. And when you are out in public, when you are at this ceremony, Babylon comes first. Worship your gods as long as you don't say your gods are the only gods. Whatever you want to worship in your own home, that's fine. But when you're in public, you'll worship at this statue. You'll worship our gods. It's called pluralism. It might sound a little bit familiar in certain cultures, but these three guys weren't doing it. They weren't having it and they got called out for it. Now let's pause just a minute because if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard this story before and maybe you don't really resonate anymore with it, but this, this happened. These were real guys in a very difficult situation. So for just a minute, I want you to put yourself in their sandals. Imagine that you're standing with these guys. You get invited to the big party, which is super cool because everybody's coming and there's gonna be a great band and it's a big party. And then when you get there, you hear the news. All right, when the music plays, you have to bow. And the music starts to play and everybody around you is dropping to the ground, everybody, because they're all thinking, I'm not dying today. And so they all bow and here you are 
And maybe your knees are getting just a little bit weak, but you're standing up. And maybe your hope is, well, their faces are on the ground. They won't see me. If I don't look at them, they won't look at me. But then all of a sudden you get called out and somebody starts to point and this murmur starts to go through the crowd. And then the king's guards come to you and say that he requests your presence and then fear begins to rise. And you begin this long walk while everybody's staring at you and the nervousness and the fear is rising in you. You know, like that walk to the principal's office in elementary school. You know who you are who had to do that. And you finally get there and, and, and the pit stains are starting to show through your robe and, and you can see the king and you can see the furnace. The furnace that was used, it's huge to purify all the gold for this statue. It's right there and the king is angry and you can see the rage because this is a challenge to his authority. And in a very real and urgent way, we're about to find out who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God is. We're going to be able to follow their fear and find out who their God is. Now, we want to hold them here for just a minute. We'll just leave that tension going, especially if you don't know the story, because oftentimes our fear is at war with our faith. I was reading another article this past week. It was a psychological study of the era, and it says we live in the age of anxiety. You feel it, don't you? It just feels like more and more things come up that, that fear just arises in us and we want to get to the root of that. We do not want to be ruled by this fear. And so I want to answer two questions before we jump back into the story. Where does fear come from and what's our usual response to it? Firstly, where does fear come from? I've been reading a lot of Augustine lately. Augustine was a fourth century theologian and writer and pastor and, and he wrote this about fear. He says, here's where fear comes from. All of us have good things in our lives, and we love them, and we desire them. Good things. Parents and children are good things. A career is a good thing. Romance is a good thing. All sorts of things are good things. But then he says this. He says, when something which is finite becomes confused with the infinite, fear rises. When we begin to confuse the finite with the infinite, fear rises. Because finite things are fragile. Finite things are vulnerable. Finite things have an expiration date. They can be taken away. And so when we begin to base our value and our joy and our hope and future on finite things, then what happens is our value and our joy and our hope and our future becomes fragile. It becomes vulnerable. It begins to have this expiration date and we can kind of see it coming. And so fear then begins to rise in our lives. And it's not just material things that we think about. It's not just houses and boats and cars and it's our reputation, it's our finances, it's our position, our comfort, our relationships, our family, our health. And so when we think about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego standing before the king, if if their hope was in finite things, if their hope was in their reputation or their future or their position, if they had that confused, then they would have bowed right away. They would have just hit the ground. If, if that would have been the most important thing in their lives, then they would have hit the ground. But they didn't. And Augustine says, fear can be a helpful thing. 
It can tell us a lot about ourselves because we can always follow our fear to the things that master us. If we follow our fear, we find our God. Can we follow our fear? Are we more concerned about the finite than the infinite? Because that's gonna cause this fear to rise in our lives. And then what's our usual response to it? Our usual response to fear is usually one of two things, fight or flight. And oftentimes we kind of flip-flop between the two. You might be really strong on one and not the other, but usually you kind of use a little bit of both in your life. If you're really strong on the fight aspect, then you say, no fear. I eat fear for breakfast. Gotta just man up or woman up. I must be swift as a coursing river with all the force of a great typhoon. Like it says in Mulan. <laughs> Try harder. Dig deep. Find the strength from within to conquer. When I first moved into the area, uh, one of the first youth events I did was jumped in a van with a bunch of students who said, we have to go to Three Pools. You're going to love Three Pools. It's an amazing experience. It's beautiful. It's fun. So sure, let's do it. Jumped in the van, ended up here at this place. And what I didn't realize is that Three Pools, you just climb up on really high rocks and you jump into glacial water. The only reason the water's not frozen is because it's moving. So we get there and we're standing at the bottom. When you're standing at the bottom of one of those, you're like, yeah, it's not so bad. And then when you climb way up to the top, you're like, whoa, it's like jumping into a cup of water. I'm not doing that. And then as I'm standing on top of this thing, this girl that climbed up after me runs right past me and jumps in the water. Shoo, gone. And here I am at the top going. <laughs> so what did I do? I was not climbing down that thing. I eat fear for breakfast. So I jumped and I froze to death and I climbed out on a rock and shivered for two hours. But I did it because fear threatens the foundation of our value. Fear threatens the core of our value. And so we have to prove our worth. We say, I am valuable. I am worth it. I am enough. I'll prove it. I'll jump off rocks like a dummy. But when we act on this fear, it strengthens its hold on our lives. Fear gets strengthened when we act on it. You see, because we want to rely on our own strengths and our own gifts and our own intellect and our own creativity. Fear drives us back to those false identities that we've talked about a couple months ago. Performance and people pleasing. And in particular, fear drives us to control. And so we stand up, I'll fight it. Or maybe your flight, maybe more often than not, you're just... I'll just run away and hide, avoidance. Because sometimes fear can cause us to, to slip into these comfort patterns that we've set up. Most of the time, they're numbing comfort patterns. Whether it's eating or drinking or sexual behavior or shopping or if it's your cell phone or if it's binge watching nowadays. And you know what? Those comfort patterns can slip into comfort sin patterns. We don't always make the best decisions when we're fearful. And maybe flight just flat out looks like procrastination when we know that there's all of these things that 
we really need to do, but we end up doing just the little unimportant things to avoid all the big things. And we have this mindset, if, if I retreat for a while, it's gonna go away, but we know that that relief is only temporary. Fight or flight. Now think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story. Uh, fight was probably a bad option. You aren't just gonna punch the king in the face and be like, Psh, bring it on, because you're toast. Flight was probably a bad option. You're surrounded. So maybe there's a third option. And this is the best part of this story. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. That's amazing. What an amazing response. Yeah, yeah, God can save us. God's perfectly capable of saving us. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow. And again, this is a real story. And maybe you know the end of the story and so all the tension's gone. Maybe you know how it's gonna end. But when they were in that moment, they didn't know the ending. They couldn't flip to verse 25. They were living in verse 16. And so it was bold. And, and there was fear in that situation. There had to be fear in that situation. But they feared God more than they feared the furnace. They were in awe of the one true king more than the king that was standing before them. Sure, King Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He ruled an amazing kingdom. But these three guys knew that there was a kingdom that was gonna outlive Babylon, that there was a kingdom that was gonna outlive all of those. And if you follow their fear, you find God. And I love that. And I love that, that they loved and served God for himself, not necessarily what they were gonna get out of it. Yeah, we'll follow God because he can save us or maybe he doesn't save us, which they knew meant certain death. Maybe he doesn't save us, but I'm following God for who he is. So often in our frustration, we cry out to God and we say things like, God, I committed to you. I serve you. I follow you. I've given my life to you. And then I ask you for this and you don't come through. And we get God all tangled up in our agenda, but they said, God, I trust you, period. Not for what I'm getting out of it. I, I just trust you. It's not God plus this and this. God, it's just you. And behind this statement, they had this deep understanding of a truth I think that we as Christians need to continue to remember, that God can save us from death, but he will always save us through death. He can save us from certain horrible situations, but he is ultimately going to save us through death. You see, what that meant for them was it's not about the kingdom that I'm living in. There's a bigger kingdom. And God can rescue me here, but he is definitely gonna rescue me for eternity. And it's a beautiful thing. And the rest of the story is absolutely amazing. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious because he realizes this is a challenge to his authority and he's gonna deal with it immediately. You don't run an empire by letting guys like this go. So it says he got so angry, his face contorted in rage and he gets his 
three strongest guards to tie them up and take them over to the furnace. And it says he heated the furnace up seven times hotter than it was. I don't know how you judge that. I don't know if there's just like a 7X setting on the thermostat. But the, the furnace is just really warm. And, and so they take these guys over. And it's so hot that the strong guards that threw them in there died. It was that hot. They just died. And so these three guys get thrown in there, and Nebuchadnezzar stands back to just watch it all happen. And then at some point, he goes, wait a second. Didn't we throw in three guys? And his advisors around him were like, yep, there were three. Three of them, yeah. And he goes, there's four. And the fourth one, and, and the phrase he uses literally means, like a son of the gods. Now, we don't know exactly what he was saying, but he's like, there's the three guys we threw in, and then there's a really bright guy brighter than the fire. And so he rushes over and he's like, oh, guys, come out. I think you should come out. And he says this. He says, servants of the most high God, come out. He gets a little bit of a shift in his thinking. And when they came out, everybody gathered around him like you would do. Everybody was looking at them because their clothes weren't burned and their hair wasn't singed. And the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. And it's an amazing miracle. But if we're honest with ourselves, in our lives, figuratively speaking, we oftentimes smell like smoke because we've been burned in certain situations. Whether we acted in fear or stepped out in faith, we've been burned, we've been torched, we've been a little bit singed. And so how then can we lean in and remember and live like they lived? What did they know? What do we need to remember so that we can overcome fear? You know, the most frequent command in the Bible, it's written 70 times in the scriptures, and it's this, do not be afraid. Now, sometimes this phrase is used when people encounter angels and they, you know, pass out, fall on their faces and, and shake because they're literally scared. But most of the time, it's used as people move forward in faith. Do not be afraid. Now, as you read that, it sounds like something you would hear in church. And it sounds like something you would go, yep, that's important. I want to do that, but I can't. I don't know how to do that. I can't muster that up on my own. But what we need to remember is that what follows that phrase most of the time is this, I am with you. You see, in this, we find one of the major themes of scripture, presence. God with us, do not be afraid, I am with you. In Genesis, do not be afraid, I am with you. In Isaiah 41, do not be afraid, I am with you. This is how Jesus closes out the gospel of Matthew. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When God is setting up his covenant in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, he says, I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. He's inviting us into covenant relationship. When Christ came, it was the fulfillment of that covenant. God with us. The key to overcoming fear is understanding presence. That God is with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, God was with them. I have a picture on my desktop, my computer, and it's of uh, my daughter Grace and I. We went to the coast one time, and there was this rock that we walked out onto. There was no water around it at the time. 
and we're standing there and then all of a sudden the tide starts coming in and our rock gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it seems like we're getting a little bit wetter and wetter. But I love this image because Grace was a little bit nervous at the time, but I'm behind her and I'm like, we got this. We're good. I got you. I'm right here. And as we stand, and sometimes it feels like the solid ground that we're standing on gets less and less and less. And as we look out on the waves, God is with us. Right there, I got you. I'm with you. You see, the message is don't be afraid bad things will not happen to you. The message is don't be afraid when bad things happen to you because I am with you. And yes, there are scary things in this world. The fiery furnace was real. It was legit. When Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he said this, beware, you'll be handed over to the courts. You'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues, which is an interesting way of doing church. You will be arrested. People will hate you. You will be persecuted. These are not irrational fears. But he says, don't be afraid. Three different times at the end of that passage. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am with you. When all this bad stuff happens, don't be afraid. Don't be surprised. 1 Peter 4.12 says, don't be surprised as if it was something strange happening to you. I think a lot of times as Christians, the actual shock of suffering is just as bad as the suffering. We can't believe that we're going through suffering. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be suffering. But all throughout Scripture, we see the furnace being used as a metaphor for refining us. And we're going to be in the furnace sometimes, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But God is with us. Isaiah 43, when you walk through the fire, do not be afraid. I am with you. We're not just trusting in God for good results. We're trusting in God through all of the results. I mean, would this story be awful if, if verse 24 said, and they got thrown in and all three burned up and died right away? Would God be any less God? Would their faith be any less genuine? No. You see, the presence of God is to bring peace to our lives. And this peace is not founded on temporary circumstances. It's founded on his eternal kingdom. And we wanna be able to follow our fear to the one true God. In closing, I just wanna give us a couple things to hang on to, a few handles. The first is this, follow your fear. Spend some time this week tracking it down. Who is your God? What are the things that you are serving? And oftentimes we notice the behavior, the anxiousness, the things that rise up, the, the indicators, the adrenaline, the aggressiveness, the passive aggressiveness, the avoidance, the withdrawal, the control. We, we notice the indicators, but we haven't really tapped into the fear. Tap into that fear. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal what the root of that is. Ask some friends to help you out in that journey because there's probably gonna be certain situations when you get to the root of it, you'll find, man, I've been, I've been serving my reputation. I've been serving money. I've been serving my own comfort. I've been anything but you, God, and we're gonna have to readjust and refocus and repent. And so spend some time in the coming weeks 
Get into the root of that so that you can overcome through the help of Holy Spirit. Next, I would say this, just a quick one. Continue to live in community. I love that this story is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't ever just think about Shadrach without the other two. There's no Abednego chapter where he goes off and does his own adventure. It's the three. It's easier to stand in community. And we need to lean into community. And we need to be honest with our community. And then lastly, I would say this. Live in even if he doesn't life. These three guys standing there saying, yep, God can. But even if he doesn't, I'm not gonna bow to anything but him. No matter what it looks like here, because I have an understanding that the infinite is far more important than the finite. And so I'm gonna continue to worship. I'm gonna continue to stand in awe of his creation. I'm gonna continue to see the eternal things, not the temporary things. And so if we can get to that point, if we can understand presence, let me just close with this question. A question we can ask ourselves, what would I do today if I was absolutely confident God was with me? How would that change my life? What conversations would I have? Where would I step out? Where would I not step out? Where would I just rest? How would that change the way that we lived? How would that allow us to overcome fear? Because there's gonna be a lot of statues. There's gonna be a lot of idols. There's gonna be a lot of things that we're gonna be tempted to bow before. And we don't wanna follow our fear to those gods. We wanna follow our fear to the one true God and be in awe of him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for this incredible story. Thanks for these three guys and for their courage that inspires us. And thank you for the outcome of that. And, and God, I, I want to pray courage over this place this morning. I want to bless this congregation with courage. Courage to stand when everyone else around them is bowing. Courage to live for you. Courage to see infinite things. God, forgive us for when we've fallen on our faces before things that weren't you. God, we do not want to be a people that live in fear. You did not give us a spirit of fear. And so I pray that you would help us to walk in the way that you've called us to walk. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.